here we see that Deborah is a bee, but she's also one that came. She dwelt. That means she sat under this palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. Ephraim means double fruit, and I think that's also significant. It means double fruit. And, of course, you know Manasseh and Ephraim were the two sons of Joseph that Jacob blessed and put his hands on him, and then he put, his, he put his, the first major blessing on the youngest, and uh, Joseph tried to make him switch his hands, but he wouldn't do it. And so he got the double blessing and had double fruit. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So they came to her for judgment because she sat and she dwelt under a tree talking to God. There was no day of coronation. There was no, no day of pronouncement of you are now a judge. There was no fanfare made. It's just she heard from God. There's, there were men that could have led in, the, in that day. But they were so possessed by fear. You know, when, when people fall, when we fall into sin, fear is quickly on the heels of that. And then whatever you know God has said seems unbelievable. What God has told you to do seems undoable. So men could have raised up and did not, but Deborah, because she dwelt with God, she wasn't out passing out her business cards, giving out CDs and writing books. I'm not saying you can't do that, but sometimes people are so busy you wonder when they have time to hear from God. She sat and she heard from God and people knew it. They knew it. They, people know when someone hears from God and they will call them or they will visit them or will they say, please pray for me, right? So anyway, there was no self-promotion there. And she, verse 6, she sent. Now see, she also heard to the point where someone who was being rebellious at what God was calling them to do. And let me tell you something. If I lived in this day, that would have probably been me. Like, oh, no, you don't. No, 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 they'll kill me. But this man was terrified. And he was actually called to be a leader. And actually, with Deborah, at the end of this, when they sing after the victory, the song of Deborah and Barak, he became the judge. And probably was, I would say, originally probably destined to be. So anyway, she not only had people come to her, but she actually heard for God from God, and she foresaw and knew God's word, and then had someone go get Barak, or Barak, so that she could tell him, and rehearse to him, what he already heard from God. He already heard it from God. Otherwise, he would have questioned what she said. Okay, so, verse 6. She sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go. That's a good word. Go. And draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun. Let's stop right there. Now she, I, what I like about this is I remember in 1980, I think it was 85, 86, I know I was sitting at a table at my house with Ann, and we were talking, we were reading this, and, and we both knew at the same time, it was, I don't know, it's like a Selah moment, 
that God was calling Deborah's and Barak's that they would be the last day army of God. It would not be the women. It would not be the men. It would be the women and the men together. Women have waited for years for the men to have the fervency that they have felt, that women have felt. And here's the thing. God chose 12 men. He did it for a reason. He made a man the head of the house and yet says that the woman is, um, uh, what's the word in Ephesians 5? She's, she's the boss, yeah. Uh, she, she, she rules from underneath. No. <laughs> um, we need the men. We need the men. What is this that people think? Now, we have some men that come to prayer. Praise God for that. But that think that it's the little old women that are supposed to show up at prayer meetings. You know, come on. And especially in Pentecostal holiness. My goodness. You know, what happened to the mourner's bench where you could come up and travail in a service? And then God would move, and, and heaven would come, and rain of God would fall. You know, we just got too Americanized. We got too pasteurized. It, 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 you know, when they had Azusa Street, do you know what Daddy Seymour would do in 1906 when tongues became back in fashion again since the book of Acts? Um, and went around the world because men of God from overseas would come. They would get it, go back to Wales, go back to England, go back to other places. They would carry it, and then tongues would take off there. But Daddy Seymour would put sometimes a box on his head while preaching. Now, how many of you would run out of church if someone did that? How many of you would pray for pastor if he did that, would go up and lay hands on him suddenly? He did it because he, he didn't want people to notice him. He wanted them to notice Jesus. And they also had some very sloppy times. We like to talk about the good times. Pastor, I got that book you said about it has those testimonies in it. I put it on my Kindle that has testimonies from then. then. But there were people that at that time, there was weirdness that would happen, and they just had to sort of work it out. Because people are people. And so this trying to be perfect and trying to have this, this atmosphere where we've got it all licked, man. We got it all down from the beginning to the end. And we got it da 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 And I'm, I'm talking all over the place. I'm not talking here. I'm talking all over the place. But that this is taking place to where we've sophisticated the Holy Ghost right out the back door. And you know what? We need him. I don't care how slick you are, how good you speak. If you don't got any anointing, you ain't got nothing. And I know Chris is a teacher. That's bad grammar. Rachel, other Chris, they're gone. That's bad grammar, but sometimes you just got to say it like it is. It's time we just got some old-fashioned, God, please do something. And do it now, and we don't care how you want to do it. And God is ready for that. God is tired of people that are full of themselves. And I know because I've been laid out and filleted. I can honestly say if you could see me in the spirit, you would see me filleted from side to side. So, uh, you know, I will tell you, if you ever hear anybody speak with conviction or what we would hopefully, I hope, I pray it would be the anointing 
They lived it first. I've been living something for about a year now, well, two years actually, and I had a revelation night before last. Well, I remember we were watching that video and I, I went, oh my goodness, I've been waiting to see what I should speak, what I should say to the body of Christ. And the Lord just showed me, I have to live it first. It's not breathe. The life of God isn't in it until you live it first. You know, when people speak and you can just tell, man, it's intro, three points, and a good close. I mean, that's what they tell you in, what is it, homiletics or hermeneutics? I get the two mixed up. You know, one's your, the, your, your, uh, um, your accuracy in, in your theory and, and your teaching, and the other one is how you put it together and share it. I had them both. I get them always, always get them mixed up. But anyway, it's weird. But it's, it, that's what we were told. An introduction, three points in a close. People's, you know, don't go longer than the, than the, you can't do a sermon longer than the bottom can endure in the seat. You know, and actually they'll teach you if you go to church, church conferences on how to grow a church, they'll tell you this much worship, have people stand, and then when you have them sit, don't keep them longer than 20 minutes in the seat, blah, blah, blah. I remember looking forward to Wednesday nights where I didn't get home till 11 and I had children. Because we would have people laid out all over the floor at church on purpose from God, not from, you know, you, you know if you didn't have a catcher, man, you better be in the spirit because you'd be in trouble. And, and it was, nobody tried to make it happen. We were all just so sort of young and crazy for God and a whole bunch of us ex-dope addicts and etc. that we just wanted anything God wanted to do. And do you know what? People want that. I brought my, my Baptist sister-in-law to church, and God started moving like wild. And I went, God, I have my sister-in-law here. Could you chill it down a little? And I was so nervous, like a pastor on Sunday morning. Oh, Lord, there's the guy with the chicken. Remember the chicken guy? The chicken guy. Or whatever he was doing. And I knew that if he did it one more time, Anthony or someone was going to lay hands on it. I was ready to lay hands. If it's up with the Spirit, glory to God. But, I mean, we were like, there was about three of us ready to lay hands on this person, right? But um, now I forgot where I was going with that. Um, tell me where I was going, honey. Oh, late, late, late. Oh, that's it. That's it. God would just move. We'd have a good word. Then people would get prayer. I fell out. The first time I ever fell out, I didn't know until I opened. I didn't know that I was on the floor until after I was on the floor. I never felt myself go back. And then I remember the first time someone prayed for me, and I got Holy Ghost laughter, but I, oh, my Baptist sister-in-law. There it is. I was Baptist. And I was, I mean, Baptists, at that time, we didn't believe in laughing in church. I mean, a Sunday brunch, we did a lot of fellowship, a lot of preaching on soul winning, which I think is very admirable, and it makes you provoked to soul win. But I remember that I was afraid to laugh because of having been raised in the Baptist church, and I only went to Pentecostal on Wednesday. You know, I was cheating. And, and so I was like, <coughs> and trying to stop it. But it wasn't the phony kind where the pastor's preaching and saying, now God is wanting you to rise up to a higher place. And someone goes, hee, 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 and you just want to slap them because it's totally out of order. 
I'm talking a laughing that is of God. And a laughing that for me brought a healing to my heart because I was very wounded. I was very hurt. But you see, they were worshiping. There were other people, like sardines, because it was a small church, lined up on the floor. And uh, the pastor was just sharing, and everyone was praying. So it wasn't out of order. It wasn't interrupting. I don't believe God likes to interrupt himself. I believe he might want to have someone stand up and speak and say, hey, you know what? I feel like you just got a testimony, which is how I felt about Laura. You, I felt the anointing on her. I heard it. I heard it. I said, she's got to share. And then Anthony called her up, and that's why I laughed, because I was so excited, because I felt that anointing. And when that anointing's there, we got, do you know, so anyway, I, about my Baptist sister, going back to where I can, from whence I came, uh, my Baptist sister being there, and I'm saying, dear God, you've got to stop this. She is going to freak, right? And so, of course, it got more wild, <laughs> and I left, and I'm like, oh, what is she going to tell me when I get in? And we were friends since we were 14 also, and we married brothers, and so, which is why she was my sister-in-law. That's kind of a duh. But anyway, I thought, oh, dear Lord, oh, my, she is going to go, oh. Becky, you're in a cult, you know, and, and she goes, I said, well, and she goes, I thought that was so cool. She goes, I really felt God. I thought that was really neat. I really liked it. And then she got sold over to that. She received tongues. She enjoyed God. She's in heaven now, but um, it ended up being a very good thing because God had his way, and I learned to get out of the way. And I do believe, though, that, oh, this is what I wanted to share. This is something God told me, and I ran it by Bob because Bob is very much a stickler on right doctrine. And I ran it by him because it was something I'd never heard anybody say. And I was in a church where um, God would start to try to move, and the pastor would always pull it back and then, and, and then go down this line he wanted. And, I mean... Oftentimes, it was just fine. It was no big deal. But then there were other times where you could feel the spirit start to move, and then you could feel go, like this. And I was just praying and praying. I really loved this person a lot, and I was praying and praying. And, and, um, and I asked the Lord, and the Lord said, Did you notice that I said Christ is the head of the church? Now, I'm going to preach to you something I don't say much that Christ is the head of the church? And I'm like, yeah, because it was kind of like out of the blue. I wasn't on that subject in my prayer at the time. And I was just driving, and he said, what's Christ mean? I said, well, it means anointed, Messiah, anointed. He goes, yes, as in anointing, and that Christ is the head of the church. And then he sort of gave me a little rendition that it's not Jesus Christ, Jesus, Christ Jesus, that it's significant what name God is using about the Lord when he uses it. Christ isn't his second name. If he says Jesus Christ, there's a reason he's saying Jesus Christ. If he says Christ alone, there's a reason he is. And he said, I said that Christ is the head of the church, and he's likening it in Ephesians 5 to the wife and the husband. And he says that the wife is not to usurp her husband's authority. 
And he said, when the church does not follow my anointing, which is my headship, because Jesus is the head, she is usurping my authority. Can you eat that? Can you eat that? Okay, if you think it's wrong, you can talk to me later. But I, I ran it by Bob, and I said, Bob, I really need to know if this is doctrinally correct. And he said, yes, the, the anointing is supposed to be a guide. What is the anointing? Well, of course, Acts 10, 38, you can look up the definition, means to be smeared and rubbed with oil, and it's how the, the king, prophet, and priest was anointed in the Old Testament, which meant you are now enabled for your position. If you're not anointed, you're not enabled to perform, which is why a lot of people get burnt out and die or quit, you know, what position they've been in because they're in a position they don't belong in. But um, in that anointing, Acts 10, 38, because we're Jesus' body, right? We're in him. We're not him, but we're in him. And he's in us. Says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? Two things. The Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And he said how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, denoting him in his human form as he walked on the earth signifying that that is also available for our walk in the earth. So that is the definition of, of what the anointing is. And without the anointing, you can't be a king, priest, or prophet. You, you, you know, whatever you're called to do, when the anointing comes upon you is how you know. That's how you know. When, when does the anointing strike you hard? Is it when you're telling someone about Jesus, like certain people we know, like my sister, uh, that, that all of a sudden the anointing comes on you and you'd rather be there than in heaven? Is it, when, is it when you share the gospel with other believers? Is it when you're ministering to little children? You know, when does it hit you? When do you feel the presence of God? Because I believe with all my heart, and my hero is first Jesus, and then I'm going to make sure you know that Deborah is another hero of mine. But without uh, the anointing, it's, it's just words. It, it's just words. And we don't need another good speech, right? Hallelujah. And you're all anointed because Christ is anointed. And when Mary covered him and covered his head and anointed his head, later, like shortly after that, he said, she's anointed my body. Because if you're, that's why he also says, Watchman Nee taught this, which is really excellent. When you, when you call the sick and you anoint them with oil and pray that they may be healed, he said it signifies your anointing with oil because they are, they are coming underneath the anointing of the head, submitting, making sure they're submitted to the head which has the oil, and therefore they are covered again and under God's protection. It is good. He's good. He's good. That man, that man, amazing man, amazing writings. Okay, so let's go back to Deborah. So she, it, this is what I liked about Deborah in this in verse 6, how she called Barak and she said, now didn't God tell you to get these 10,000 guys and, and you're going to go? But you know what I like about this, about the men and about her calling him? She didn't berate him. She didn't say, hey, you jerk. God's been talking to you. You know, she, she said, has not God said, and she doesn't tell him anything outside what God has already told him. She reiterates what she said 
She knew God told him this, and that's why she repeated it. She sent for six and called Barak, and he said, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, that's that last half, and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun. Verse 7, And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sesera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thy hand. Now, she must have had such conviction, such a surety, especially that he knew he'd already heard this, that he said unto her, verse 8, and Barak said to her, if thou will go with me, then I will go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. And it, it was very common, and you know, this was actually called Asia. We call it Middle East, but it was actually part of Western Asia. And it's very common in their culture at that time to take, I, 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 for better lack of a better word, talisman or a lucky charm with them when they went into battle. And in this case, it's as though he's using Deborah as his lucky charm to go into battle. And, uh, and with her, he has confidence that they'll win. Now, understand something. If you, if you feel to even, you know, to even dare judge him, understand that Jabin had 100,000 men and 900 chariots. Now, how many of the 100,000 were driving the chariots? I don't know, but it's a whole lot of people. And they had 10,000 Israeli, Israeli soldiers. So... And they'd been under this oppression for 20 years. So this is a big ticket to fill. But when he heard her, he was willing. And this is what God wants. He wants us in agreement. He doesn't want there to be a divide or the men to say, oh, let the women do it. Let the women pray. They have time. You know. Or the women to say, oh, the men, you know, they're falling behind. Just forget them. You know, he, he wants there to be this unity. And I will tell you, I know that in the last days, it will be the men and the women on the front lines, all the way to the back lines, going forward with God until Jesus comes and takes us up. And then comes back with us. Yippee. And I get to ride a horse again. Hallelujah. I want a white one, too. <laughs> so um, then they're waiting. And uh, then Jael is the other hero in this story. She's a female. And she's of Heber, the Kenite, which was a relative. They were related to um, Moses' father-in-law. And they had separated themselves from the Kenite, but they were metal workers. And so they had peace with Sesera and Jabin and all of them, probably because they brought their wares to them to be repaired. But Sesera did not know that she was still loyal to the people of God. And uh, the interesting thing is, if you want to study this maybe later, and it comes from the song of uh, Deborah and Barak, that she was also related to Shamgar, which you can read in chapter 3, verse 31, who was also a hero and a judge who killed six hundred of the enemy with an ox gourd. Six hundred. Six hundred. That's a lot. So she had these, these genes. She had this heritage in her. A hero was in her from her heritage. Okay. Um, I want to skip some of this. Okay. Now they're waiting. 
Timing is very important. And, and we'll find out why when we read the poem is how we'll find out what really happened on that day. And verse 14, Deborah said unto Barak, Up for this day of which the, it's the Lord, the day the Lord has delivered Sisera into thy hand. It's not the Lord gone out before you. So Barak went down. It was very crucial that it was that day. And I'll show you why. Let's go now to chapter 5. We're going to skip all this other stuff. Well, let's do one verse. Verse 23 of 4 says, So God subdued on that day Jabin and the king of Canaan before the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed. Now, actually, um, well, let's go to 15. I'm sorry. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his host with the edge of the sword before Barak. So that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and he fled on his feet. He went to go get away like, I'm going to save myself. But Barak pursued after the chariot. You see this man that was terrified? Now he's going, let's go get him. You know, just this boldness and this zeal and this fire comes into him. He sees God move and he pursues the enemy when he tries to run. Not even just winning wasn't enough, man. He wanted the whole enchilada. And he just got a little taste of God being there to help him. A little taste. And it made him a different man altogether. The man that God always knew was inside of him. So then Sisera flees. Um, Jael invites him. He flees and he believes that Heber, because they you know, had them do metal work, etc., that Jael will hide him. So he goes to her tent. In fact, Heber is the one, her husband, that actually told them where to go find Barak and the army. But it was a setup. It was a setup. It was actually, they were snitching on purpose for God's setup. You'll have to read that in the chapter. And so she calls him in. Oh, yes, oh, yes, let me help you. Oh, my Lord, let me help you. And she gives him buttermilk, and he gets sleepy. You know, he's exhausted, I'm sure. He falls down. She covers him. And then when he's out, she puts a tent peg through his head. Yes, amen. Some people would go, go, girl. But um, so it's a great story. And, and, I, and I love it when I found out that Shamgar was her relative. That was just so totally cool to me. Anyway, let's go to uh, chapter 5. Now, this is a, sa- a song that broke out, and, and I'm not going to read every verse, but I have some information that's very important. Um, how did they get this way? How did they get this way? Well, of course they were oppressed, but if you would like to know the, the, the real answer, I want to give you these three things that I felt were really crucial from chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and then 16 and 17. Number one, it says they did not know God. It says they did evil, and they did not know the history of God's great deeds that he had done. That was the fault of the generations previous for not passing on that information to them, and that's how they ended up in this state. And then God gave judges that then delivered them, but it says they would not hearken, and they turned away quickly. So their times of deliverance were very short-lived. Okay, the song of Deborah and Barak. We always call it the song of Deborah, but Barak is there too. 
Verse 2, praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. There's a sermon in itself there. Hear, O you kings, give ear, O you princes. I even I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God. Verse 4, Lord, when thou winnest out of Seir, not when Barak, not when the army, not when I, when the Lord. She gave all glory to the Lord, that it was the Lord that did it. And thou marchest out of the field of Edom. The earth trembled. Now listen to this because these are true physical events. That's why she said, up this day. Because God had this plan. The earth trembled. What is the earth trembling? What do you think that is? It's an earthquake. That's right. So the earth trembled. And, verse 4, and the heavens dropped. What do the heavens usually drop? Rain. But it was like a monsoon. The clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted. What causes a mountain to melt? What causes a landslide? Water. Okay? Before the Lord, even the, from the Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel. See, they were by the river Kishon. In the days of Shamgar and the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked, walked through byways. Here are... I want to read you these things. Now think about how we are today also. There was no trade because people were afraid to go out, and travelers, those that were merchants, wouldn't go through for fear of death. There was no traveling. People stayed in walled cities, like behind where, instead of living in the country, for protection. There was no tillage of the fields because the food would be stolen. There was no administration of justice. There was no peace to him that went in or went out. And that is the story of every time that they were in bondage. So she goes on to say in verse uh, 7, the inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel. All the villages were empty. Everyone was inside a city if they could get there. Until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a... Someone read it with me. Verse 7 of chapter 5. Stick with me, people. A mother in Israel. Now, did she say until I arose a judge in Israel? Until I arose a prophet in Israel? Till I arose a counselor in Israel? She said until I arose a mother in Israel. What do you know about a mother? What does a mother do? She nurtures. She cares. She loves. If a kid gets in trouble or hurts himself, who does he usually run to first? Mommy. Because there's a mother's love that even your kid will tell you off before they tell off the father because they know mother will always forgive, no matter what. Right? It's true. I, I mean, I believe that's true. That's a Beckyism. I can't say that's Bible. Okay, that's a Beckyism right there. But, you know, she didn't denote herself with any title other than a mother in Israel. And the greatest thing anybody ever says about their mother, unless she was an abuser, and there are bad mothers, is that they loved. They love you. They care for you. They'll die for you. Even in nature, other animals, they'll die for their children as a mother. Verse 8, this will preach on its own. I don't need even need any commentary. They chose new gods, then was war in the gates. 
Was there a shield or spear among the 40,000 in Israel? My heart is toward the governors of Israel. See, she had honor for the men that didn't even rise up. She still respected and had honor for who they were to God. And she said, in verse 9, They offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless ye the Lord. Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. And she's kind of mocking the ones that wanted to stay on the sideline, not get their hands dirty, keep their wealth, and not participate. Because there were many that were called that did not follow, that did not help. Um, Let's go to... Verse 11, they that are delivered from the noise of the archers in the places of the drawing water, these are places that they couldn't go, they shall, shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord. This is going to be spoken about. This victory is going to be talked about everywhere. Even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of the villages in Israel, then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song, arise, Barak. She was supposed to wake up, but then she woke up, then she woke someone else up, and I think what makes her a hero is that she made someone else a hero. That's what makes her a hero. And she wanted to raise up anybody to be a hero. And that's what it's about in edifying one another. That's what it's about in provoking one another to love and to good works. I can tell you right now, most Christians are condemned enough as it is. You, you really, unless God really tells you to, you don't need to tell them where they went wrong. Because most of them know and live in condemnation over it. It's awake to righteousness and sin not. And she said, didn't God tell you that you go over here and not you do it. God said, and I will draw them. And I will destroy them. And those chariots, when that river Kishon got too full, what do you suppose happened to those chariots that were made of iron? They couldn't move. They couldn't move. And so they became useless because God caused heaven and earth to work together for his purposes. So sometimes we don't know, how could this happen? God told me to do this, do that, do this. How? How is it even possible? Well, he's the God of the universe. And there's all kinds of tricks up his sleeves that he can do. Um, awake and awake. Now, there's a story that goes through here that's from verse 13 to about 19 that talks about the ones that were called and those that obeyed and those that had excuses. There was a lot that had excuses, had other things to do. Verse 19, the kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan in Tanakh, or Tanakh, Excuse me if I slaughter these words. I didn't look that one up. By the waters of Megiddo and took no gain of money. They did it for nothing. They did it because God said so. How many people can you invite maybe to your church that will really come for nothing? Hello. Silence in the room. 
Someone asked me one time, what's your honorarium? We want you to come speak, what's your honorarium? And I said, from having learned from Bob, I said, you know what? If I told you anything, I feared that God would strike me dead with a lightning bolt. So I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't care. Whatever God does. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Verse 20. Verse 21, the river of Kishon swept over them, swept them away. That ancient river, the river Kishon, oh my soul. Now this is a song. This is poetry. Thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of the prancing. They couldn't get through the mud themselves, even the horses. Blessed, just go to verse 24. Well, here's another good one. Verse 23, you may not even have ever read this or remembered it. Curse you marrows. And the angel said, the angel of the Lord, curse you bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. And their name is never, ever mentioned again in the Bible. Gone. Blessed above women, verse 24, shall Jael, the wife of Heber, be the Kenite, who blessed shall she be above women in the tent. He asked water, she gave him milk, she brought forth butter in a lordly dish, and then she put her hand and she nailed him. Maybe that's where we get the phrase. A lot of phrases come from the Bible. She nailed him. Okay. Um, okay, this is what I wanted to get to, and that's the motive. And excuse me for going over. Um, we just don't care, though, do we, anymore? We don't care anymore. We don't. Just, Lord God, please let it be your voice speaking. Uh, through f frail human humanity. Verse 31, So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might. And the land had rest for 40 years. I believe the motive she had was her fervent love for God. She wanted God's enemies destroyed, and she wanted everyone else, the only ones, to survive this to be those that loved God. So that's why I believe she's called a mother in Israel. And she mentions of herself a mother in Israel because it's about love. She was not made in that position because she was so awesome or because she convinced people that she should be the one. She was full of love therefore wanted to be with God, therefore heard from God, therefore people knew it, therefore people came to her, therefore when it was time for deliverance, she had the word of the Lord. That agreed with the man that was supposed to do it, instead of going instead of him, instead of going ahead of him, she went alongside and she encouraged him to do what God told him to do. 